What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. You are listening to the Sports Card Show podcast. That's right. We are back. We are in our 10th season here on the Sports Card Podcast. The number one, longest running, most well-respected, all of the above. All the good things you can say about a Sports Card Podcast, the Sports Card Show is that and defines that. Uh, much like Kanye West was defining Twitter this week. Um, but uh, let's talk about, um, we're going to you know, spend most of our time talking about uh, the sports car world, uh, what's going on there. Certainly, uh, Otani is uh, blowing things up for the Angels. So we'll talk a little bit about the uh, insane card prices. Gosh, either uh, everybody must have gotten their tax rebate or a lot of people in Japan must be sitting on a lot of cash, and I actually think that's true. I think people in Japan tend to save more than other countries, so it could be that they have they're taking some of that money, cash out of the bank, that Japanese yen, and uh, investing it into some Otani cards. I don't have any confirmation of that or any way to confirm that, but uh, boy, oh boy, we've seen some explosive prices from Otani over the last. A few weeks. Obviously, they dipped. They were down during the the you know preseason or spring training for baseball. Didn't look so hot, um, but boy, I've seen them pitch. I've seen them hit, and uh, looks pretty good to me. Uh, we'll talk about the NFL draft. I just watched the first round. Not particularly shocked, I guess, about a lot of it. The Browns picked, I think the Browns are almost like goaded into picking definitely the worst quarterback on the board. So the quarterback that everybody wants to fail is heading to the Browns in a situation where he's more than likely to fail. And then other quarterbacks started to fall. My number one top rated quarterback was actually one of the last ones picked in the first round uh, in terms of quarterbacks. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about, is it time to start prospecting NBA cards? I know we're, we're, you know, you might be listening to this in the archives uh, because we have 10 years of shows to listen to, over 200. You can uh, maybe get stuck behind or, or revisit the show or be a, a new listener. Certainly appreciate anyone jumping in new, listening to the Sports Card Show podcast or for uh, the first couple times, um, you might you know, find yourself going back into the episodes. But at the current time, the NBA playoffs are going on, and I'm wondering if it's time to start prospecting NBA basketball cards. So we'll see uh, what I think about that. We'll talk about, ah, some of you regular listeners to the program might remember just a handful of shows ago, although it's several months ago at this point. I think it was, it it might even been last year. I can't remember. But uh, I... I I don't I don't want to say I win after Brian Gray or Leaf trading cards on Twitter. I just kind of made a, a comment, kind of half joking, and Brian Gray continued to like double down, triple down, and you know whenever I see somebody making a fool, making foolish statements, making a fool of themselves, I'm just gonna keep feeding, keep keep pouring gasoline on the fire. I really think that that's all I, I try to do. If you're if you're gonna make a fool of yourself. I was going to pour gasoline on the fire, and I thought that Brian Gray was making a fool of himself 
on the comments related to the Damian Lillard autograph. And if you want me to, I'll maybe briefly explain that when the segment comes up. But if you want a full recap, listen to a couple shows ago where uh, I, I think I even have Brian Grace's name in the title of the episode. And it was all about that situation. Well, Brian Gray blocked me on Twitter. And I've been blocked uh, by many people, particularly um, liberal Democrats that uh, want their free health care and their free food and reduced rent and free college and free marijuana and free health care. I think I already said that. They want a free retirement. They don't really want to work, so they want... Uh, to get, you know, a little bit of assistance for that, you know, maybe a tax write-off for the, or a tax rebate for the car or whatever. Of course, I had a nice, I had a really nice tax season this year. Very nice. Um, I won't go into that now. But anyways, Brian Gray joined many liberal Democrats out there who want everything in their life paid for and handed to them by somebody else instead of working for it themselves. That's the kind of group that has blocked me and Brian Gray joined that group, but some recent developments there. We'll talk about that. Some, some interesting things have happened. I don't exactly know w- or why, but um, we'll talk about that. Finally, I, I haven't had a sports card show podcast in a couple months. What have I been doing? Uh, it hasn't really been... Uh, I don't want to say it hasn't been exciting or that I have... Um, that I could put my finger on any one particular thing, but I've actually been working, not in the traditional sense, the put on the suit and tie, set the alarm, and wake up and rise and grind and essentially be a slave to somebody else or in prison. The last time I checked, if you go to prison, okay, I've never been to prison, but if, if, you, if you know anything about prison or if you've ever been yourself, you know that... You're told when you can go to the bathroom. You're told when you can leave your cell. You are told when you can eat. You are told who you can talk to, okay, and at what time. To me, that sounds a lot like having a job. Being in jail sounds a lot like having a job, okay? You get 15-minute breaks. You get 30 minutes for lunch, and you got to clock out and clock back in. You can't text or call your friends half, you know, at, at any convenient time. So your meals and bathroom breaks and, and who you're talking to is all regulated. Sounds a lot like prison. So <laughs> not exactly sure where I was going with that, but I have been working, okay, but not in, in the, the prison, you know, Rise and grind sense. Wake and wake up and, and go to work, come home, sleep and repeat. Been doing a lot of Amazon stuff. I have actually a decent, not a decent amount of work. I probably have two days work on uh, some websites that I have. And I, I actually did my taxes last week. So there's been some stuff outside of, you know, taking care of a one-year-old kid and a house and my grass and uh, starting some projects around the house. So been busy, so we'll talk mainly about. I'm not going to tell you, you know, about reciting my uh, shed or anything like that. But um, I'll talk about Amazon and eBay, kind of how that's been going, and kind of what I, I've been using both for, and the kind of success uh, that I've seen there. 
So first things first, let's start it off with the NFL draft since that's probably fresh on most people's minds that are listening to this show as they come out. And again, we're in the 10th year of the Sports Card Show podcast. So um, needless to say, this is you are listening to the premier number one podcast out there uh, for, in all of sports cards. Just a high, high um you know, just a high regard. Everybody holds the Sports Card Show podcast in high regard, and you should feel lucky, and I feel lucky that I'm here um, sharing this time with you. So I appreciate that. First thing we're going to talk about the NFL draft. We'll talk about uh, really, I think anybody that, like a group breaker, anybody that's like on the business side of selling football cards, got to be super excited about this NFL draft. Okay. You have the Browns picking. The quarterback, a lot of people don't like. They don't like his attitude. They don't like his mouth. Um, he certainly has, uh, in my opinion, Baker Mayfield has quite a bit of Johnny Manziel in him. Not quite. Um, he's had some skirmishes off the field, and it appears he he you know he does live in the fast lane uh, a little bit. So n- not quite as fast as Johnny Manziel in his prime, but I feel that Baker Mayfield is going to be one of those quarterbacks just like Johnny Manziel, that either was going to become one of the best quarterbacks in the league or out very quickly, out of the league very quickly. And um, uh, again, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't necessarily bet one way or the other on Baker Mayfield, but the odds are he's not going to succeed in, in Cleveland. He's going to get booted out. They're not going to give him uh, you know, four or five years to develop there, which is, might be what he needs. You know, kind of like an Andy Dalton situation. I don't know if Andy Dalton deserves for. I mean, I think he's on his almost tenth year uh, in the in the league. I don't know if he necessarily needs that kind of time. But Baker Mayfield, if he doesn't start producing right away and doesn't look good, then um, people are going to say, "Hey, another busto." I mean, let, let look. Just this time last year, we were talking about how the Browns. I think they either moved up or or. They got Deshaun Keisner, I think, in the second round, and he's gone. So we could be sitting here next year talking about how the Browns have a top five pick or multiple top five picks and are looking at quarterback or looking to add a quarterback in free agency or whatever it is. So I'm not sure how great that situation is. Certainly wouldn't be um, a super excited if I was a Browns fan, there was other more talented quarterbacks. And certainly if the Browns wanted to draft Baker Mayfield, they could have moved back multiple spots um, in order to get them since uh, uh, most people had him um, towards the back half, uh, I think, of, of the quarterbacks that were supposed to go on the first day. From a hobby standpoint, I still think his cards are going to be collected, obviously from Browns fans, but also from Oklahoma Sooner fans, Heisman Trophy winner fans. Um, I still think his cards are going to be collected, but um, I think your opportunity is likely a little bit better in uh, some of the other draft picks. Obviously, I, in, in my opinion... I had um, other quarterbacks ranked a little bit higher, certainly Sam Darnold and certainly Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen, to me, is the most uh, ready quarterback out of the bunch. 
and he ends up landing in Arizona. And I think that's actually, in my opinion, that's one of one of the best situations that Josh Rosen could have gone in. Number one, he doesn't have the pressure. Think about Baker Mayfield. He's going to have pressure uh, to perform because Cleveland hasn't seen a winner in in two decades there. So, um, and and the the quarterback turnover on that team is, is legendary. So Baker Mayfield's got to produce right away. He's going to have a lot of attention on him being the number one pick, being that there were other quarterbacks and a lot of other players that um, the Browns obviously passed on to take him number one or to have not traded back. Sam Darnold heads off to the New York Jets. And the one thing is true about New York is that it's run by sleazy liberal Democrats. Oh, never mind. Um, the other thing that is true about New York is that the media, it's one of the media capitals. It might be the media capital of the world, but it's certainly um, right there as one of the top media markets um, in the United States and certainly in the sports world. And so the New York media can build you up and pump you up and get you head and shoulders commercials and all that other stuff like Odell Beckham Jr. But then you stop catching balls and you hang out the club a little bit too much and you're not winning or going to Super Bowls. All of a sudden, the New York media can slap you down like a little baby. And Sam Darnold will certainly experience that. He'll show up at Jets camp. Everybody will love him. Three picks later in week two, and they're already maybe thinking about drafting another quarterback uh, the following season. So Sam Darnold um, is a turnover, is an absolute turnover machine. And so if the Jets don't, you know, one, maybe not even have him start in games so he can develop, he certainly needs time to develop his game his, his, his ability to not turn the ball over from a fumble perspective and an interception perspective. If he's winning games, that's great. I don't think, again, I'm not an NFL expert. I don't think the Jets are at a spot where they're ready to just, you know, turn the corner like the Eagles did and go from kind of this like average team to a Super Bowl team. Or like kind of like this, uh, the Los Angeles um, Rams did. The Rams went from being a really bad team to a team that I believe made the NFL playoffs. I don't think Sam Darnold provides that for the Jets. So we'll see how the media treats Darnold as he likely goes through a year where the Jets probably don't make the playoffs. And his stats and his play at time might seem a little sloppy. So we'll see how the, the New York media handles that. And really, not, not, not necessarily how the media handles it, but how Sam Darnold handles it. He is coming from USC, which has one of the brighter spotlights. But in my opinion, if you had a quarterback that didn't turn the ball over as much in USC, they could have been playing in a much bigger bowl game than they did. Next quarterback, I mean, oh. We'll talk about the number two pick here. We might as well um, kind of go down the line a little bit. I skipped I skipped Saquon Barkley, who went to Penn State, who I think the only – I don't have any problems with the Giants. I mean, I think the Giants could, could have landed one of these quarterbacks or could have traded out of this pick 
for somebody that wanted one of the quarterbacks, but um, I, I don't, you know, the problem I think with, with drafting a, a running back this high in the draft is if he's not an MB, MVP candidate, chances are his career is going to, you know, is going to fizzle out in, in, within two to three years. So you're really drafting a guy really high on a team, the, the New York Giants, who I think are, I don't want to say rebuilding, but definitely retooling. And unless they retool and 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 reach um, a, a point in two to three years from now, when Barkley's in his in his prime and likely on his way down as a running back in the NFL, I mean NFL running back lasts like two three years. I mean every year it's like a different guy that's like the number one fantasy running back. It's always a different guy every two to three years. Um, and so Barkley's certainly going to fall in that line. And the other thing I don't. A, a big red flag for me, Barkley. Like Barkley's a guy. If you want to buy his cards and flip them, or, or buy them for you know a one year period, I, I don't have a huge problem with that. I don't think he's going to last much longer than three or four years. Okay, I don't think this guy's going to be a Frank Gore type guy. Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe ten years from now, we're on the sports card show, and you could be tweeting me or Snapchatting me or whatever people use at that time, and being like, "Hey man, Saquon's still in the league." Maybe that happens. But one thing I do know about Saquon Barkley, he was returning kicks and punts and uh, like literally touching the ball like 30, 40 times a game at Penn State. I mean, the, 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 the coach obviously wanted to try to get him the Heisman Trophy Award. That's all the coach was trying to do. He either promised it to Barkley or had a recruit that he's like, hey, look how much I work Barkley. You could come in here and do the same thing. And so he was really worked hard at Penn State, touched the ball a lot. And so I wonder how that transfers over to the NFL, how that, that wear and tear. I mean, all these guys have wear and tear, but Saquon Barkley t- took a lot of handoffs. Okay. Um, as we talked about, number three, Sam Darnold. Don't have a huge problem with this pick. The, again, the, uh, Darnold needs at least a year or two to kind of develop, I think, his decision-making. I think it's going to take, you know, I think maybe the back half of next year you might see it. And maybe into year two. I mean, we saw it with like Jared Goff and and Carson Wentz. These guys weren't, you know, on the brink of the Super Bowl year one. I don't think anybody thought that either club was either going to be on the brink of the Super Bowl or or going to the playoffs uh, after year one. But these guys made a big big jump into year two. They might even been year three. I think they're both heading into the third season. I could be wrong. So a lot of maturity can happen. And and again, I think Darnold's one of these guys that could become a, a, a decent to a good quarterback for the Jets, but will the media, will the city, will the fans give them, I think the year, year and a half, maybe even two years, it's going to take. We'll see if they they do that. And again, from a card collecting perspective too, how, you know, it's always difficult to tell how card collectors will react. I'm sure his cards will be very well collected and very, you know, his cards might be the highest valued quarterback. His His quarterback value cards might be more valuable than Mayfield, the number one pick. And certainly Rosen, who slipped to 10. And a lot of people might look at that as a negative. So we'll see 
how uh, this happens. But if okay, if, if we're doing a game of buy, sell, hold, Baker Mayfield, for me, it's a sell. I mean, sure, if he t- turns it around and the, and the Browns are 500 or even win four or five games, he's going to be elevated. And if he's obviously the quarterback and the one producing, he's going to be elevated uh, to a high status within the hobby and certainly within the NFL. But again, we've seen the odds of that happening in Cleveland are slim to none. And I, I don't I don't see Baker Mayfield as the guy that's going to turn that around. Barkley, again, sell. Sell to Penn State fans. Sell him to uh, New York Giants fans. Sell because run, look at Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, we, we knew when he came in the NFL he was going to dominate. But since then, he's he was suspended and he's had these problems. And sure, he's going to come back. I'm sure he's going to be a really good player next year. And people are going to pay a lot of money for his cards, but certainly some of the steam has gone off. And you look at o- Odell Beckham, who may or may not be a teammate of Saquon Barkley. So the guy people are paying like quarterback prices for his cards. Sam Darnold, I'm a. I mean, I think I'm I'm like a, a seller, but it's not like a really strong sell. Not like, wouldn't be immediate flip um, for me. If I had two Sam Darnolds, I'd sell one. He's a guy that if yes, if if you know, I'm not as familiar with the Jets roster or who else they have or or what kind of moves they've made. But if he's like you know, again, I don't I don't expect him to lead the Jets to the playoffs or or certainly to the Super Bowl. But four, five, six wins, and if Darnold looking pretty good, he may, you know, he makes a mistake here and there, but it's not, you know, a disaster. His cards certainly will hold their value all season, and maybe even peak, you know, tick up a little bit depending on on how he plays late in the year. Several defensive players went. I'm not gonna, obviously, not gonna talk about those guys. On um, the Buffalo Bills. Moved up to get Josh Allen from Wyoming. I'll be honest, I never really saw a lot of uh, Josh Allen play while he was in college. Um, obviously, going to Wyoming, you really have to dip deep into ESPN like 55 to, to see Wyoming games oftentimes. But he's a big guy. And had you know, I think he had some like racist stuff on his Twitter when he was younger, when he was in high school, or whatever. Um, I, I think people will forget about that by the time uh, his first preseason game rolls around. And the Bills, I think, again, another good situation from a media standpoint. The Bills aren't you know aren't aren't super over you know super um, you know covered in the media from from a negative perspective. The fans are going to be excited. Because they, they they sneaked into the playoffs uh, last year, and um, and they had all kinds of like quarterback like turnover. So now they have AJ McCarron, who is the backup for the Bengals, who who should you know should be have been credited with leading the Bengals to their first playoff win until the Bengals kind of melted down late in that game um, several years ago against the Steelers. AJ McCarron, the times he's played for the Bengals has been extremely competent. I, you know, I, I don't know what kind of season he'll have for the Bills. I don't know if he'll start over Josh Allen or, or how the coach will handle that situation. I can imagine A.J. McCarron will, will begin the year as the starter, and Josh and to me that'll keep Josh Allen cards, at the very least, kind of uh, l- lukewarm 
for for most of the season until he comes in and has a chance to prove himself. But the Bills are a team that made the playoffs last year. And obviously, I mean, I'm sure they've had some some turnover and some guys leave and some guys come in. But this is a team that obviously is well-coached and has some talent on their team. So Josh Allen, for me, not knowing much about him, but for me, if I had his cards, I think he's more of kind of a hold, kind of a wait and see, kind of a wait for his first pop. And then obviously, if I have two cards, I sell one. But I, w- Josh Allen wouldn't be like Baker Mayfield or Saquon Barkley. Wouldn't be immediate. I would immediately sell a Baker Mayfield or a Saquon Barkley. But Josh Allen, um, certainly even a higher hold than I would do Darnold. If I had a Darnold card and an Allen card, I'd probably sell uh, the Darnold card. And because I think Josh Allen, I think, has the most mystery. Okay. Very few people. Saw him in college because he went to Wyoming. And that means, you know, he's going to have a little bit less fans from, from that perspective. But also he goes to a situation that has some decent upside. If he can lead the Bills to the playoffs again, or if, you know, A.J. McCarron starts off the year and either struggles or gets hurt or something, and, and Josh Allen comes in and takes over and looks good, that's going to be very good for his cards and maybe take some people by surprise. Moving on to my favorite player in the draft, Josh Rosen, I think is certainly the most uh, ready from a, from a technical standpoint to be a quarterback in the NFL. I think he's, if you watch him play, he'll look like, um, he'll look like a professional quarterback. Reminds me a little bit of Jared Goff, as a, a very, very good thrower of the ball, someone who can drop back and look very good in a very clean pocket or a no-pocket situation and throw the ball very good. Give him some rush up the middle. Give him some pass rush on the side where he's got to step up, those kind of things. Not quite as effective in that scenario, but there's quite a few players in the NFL that I believe have... Um, at least somewhat develop that skill. If if you can learn how to move around in the pocket, you can learn around learn how to uh, make decisions in the pocket. I think Rosen's decision making is often pretty good, and I think he'll be effect a very effective quarterback in in a system that tends to um, favor. Uh, the type of quarterback that he is, kind of drop-back throw, is very much, I don't want to say he's very much like Carson Palmer, but is is cut out of a similar class as Carson Palmer. Somewhat, you know, Carson Palmer is never the guy to kind of roll to the side or roll to the left. That's often when Palmer would get in trouble. But Palmer straight back and straight up in the pocket, one of the better quarterbacks uh, over the last, um, you know, 10 years in the NFL and even went to a Super Bowl, I believe. So, and again, Arizona is a team that has been in the Super Bowl uh, recently. So we'll see. Rosen, for me, is a hold. Might even be, uh, I haven't looked at prices. There's not enough sets out there. And I think with with the finality of these guys finally landing on teams, uh, I don't know if I'll prospect any of these guys personally. If I do, it will be picking up a, a Rosen card 
uh, somewhere along the, the, the lines and, 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 you know, kind of buying and holding. I wouldn't, you know, it's, I'll talk later about NBA prospecting where I've already spent, uh, I think over a hundred dollars on NBA cards already. So, um, not quite as like feverish buying someone like Josh Rosen, because I think his cards are still going to be pretty hot. I think people are still going to realize, Hey, he's in a really good situation. The media in Arizona is like, you got to be softer than, uh, you know, the media when Bill Clinton, when, uh, well, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, I mean, they were a lot when, when Barack Obama was, uh, the president, you know, I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, you know, when Obama was president, nothing negative really got reported. And with Trump being president, now nothing positive is being reported. And it's all about the attitude of the media. The media is, it, you know, obviously probably gets better ratings and more clicks on negative Trump stories. So that's what they're running with. I mean, I think some of it is ideology, but I think more of it has to do with these guys feed on like clicks and followers and retweets. And what gets retweeted and clicked on more often are negative stories. And I think with Barack Obama, it was more, um, you know, it was the opposite. The positive, feel good, you know, let the Mexicans run over the border kind of story is is a feel good story. And they're dreamers and, and instead of illegal immigrants. It's all how you frame it. And I think Josh Rosen in Arizona, I, I don't think there's any hard hitting reporting going on in Arizona. I think people are more worried about um, catching... Uh, you know, some rays or catching some women and, and catching some holes on the golf course there. I think that's all people care about. Moving on, not actually after Josh Rosen was picked, we didn't see, it was like all defensive players. I mean, literally safeties and centers and uh, linebackers and guards. We did have DJ Moore selected by the Panthers. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. He gets matched up with Cam Newton, so this that that can't be bad. But uh, wide receiver cards just aren't usually worth a whole lot. Uh, the Ravens picked up a, a, a tight end again. Tight end cards outside of maybe Gronk really aren't worth a whole lot. Uh, the Falcons did pick up Calvin Ridley, which could, you know, I could see this guy putting up some decent stats. Could be a one year flip where. You know, maybe all the quarterbacks kind of get iced and really kind of catches some balls because he's paired up. Uh, I mean, if Julio Jones doesn't come back, I wouldn't touch Ridley. But if Julio Jones comes back, then, um, uh, you know, oftentimes receivers opposite of a player like that get s- some decent looks. The, the Seahawks made an interesting pick, Rashad Penny from San Diego State. San Diego State uh, does, um, you know, can get some some linebackers or can get some running backs. They, they, San Diego State runs the ball a lot. And so we'll see how that translates. The, the Seahawks tend to draft well, and so that could be w- one to watch. Finally, the pick I wanted to get down to, I think it was one of the last, it might have been the last of the first round, the Ravens traded up and got Lamar Jackson, quarterback out of Louisville, certainly the best athlete uh, from the could have been best athlete in the draft, but certainly the best, certainly by far the best athlete at the quarterback position. So um, Lamar Jackson for me would be uh, a, like a hold guy because I think his upside is so high and his downside is 
whatever. He was the last pick in the first round. There was, you know, four other, I think four other quarterbacks picked before him. So I don't think his cards are going to be, um, you know, I think his cards will fall in line to where the other, you know, Darnold and, and Rosen and, and Mayfield's fall. And so Jackson for me would be a hold if I pulled one out of a pack or something like that, because I think his upside's really high. His upside could be top two or three quarterback in the league. He's certainly a quarterback that I could see terrorizing, just absolutely terrorizing the Cincinnati Bengals. Player like Lamar Jackson, just for me, I just see like I'm almost like seeing the future now. Watching NFL, I think I might cancel the NFL uh, league pass, but because I subscribe to the baseball, I've been having fun watching baseball. So we'll see. And you can all card it too. You can like buy a game. And maybe there's Sundays where I want to sit down and game. Some, you know, I have like serious radio, and you can listen to the game. You can listen to NFL games on, on on like an app or in your car. There's a lot of weekends where I just want to be out in the yard, or, or you know, maybe even have my son be playing with him, and maybe have uh, you know, like the the AirPod in the ear, and be listening to the game. But anyways, Lamar Jackson for me would be. A hold. I don't think I'd be out there buying his cards unless they were just really cheap, which I could see if a year goes by, Jackson doesn't play. Then I could see his cards being cheap this time next year, and maybe he's a buy then. But uh, for me, he's not really a buy. But um, if I, you know, if I had one of his cards or ended up with one, I don't think I'd really be looking to go out and sell it because I, I don't think you'd. You know, I think you're. It's it's more of a lottery ticket. I, you know, you know why w- would you sell a lottery ticket? Probably not. Especially a lottery ticket that had a chance to win and win kind of a jackpot prize. I think uh, Lamar Jackson is that kind of player. Moving on, let's talk about the other uh, kind of hot topic within cards. I think I, I don't think the NFL draft is super hot right now, but it will be. In two, three months, when the NBA's over and baseball's kind of winding down, um, you know, really like three, four months for baseball to wind down, um, everybody's going to be caring about uh, all the NFL prospects and all the football cards that are coming out. So I think it'll be a really high, exciting, I don't, I don't even know if I finished my point, but I'd be really excited if you're a group breaker or if you sell this stuff or if somehow you benefit from football cards being sold. I think a lot of them are going to be sold this year. He, I mean, he had five quarterbacks picked in the first round. And then he had four quarterbacks picked in the top ten and a running back. So that's going to be really good for card values. I mean, if Goff, if, Jared, if somebody like Jared Goff is worth, you know, X, Y, Z, I mean, I think Wentz is, is probably at a little bit, I mean, his injury, obviously, if he had won the Super Bowl, his, his values would be astronomical. And I'm not saying Mayfield or Rosen or Darnold or any of these guys should have Wentz values, but there's kind of the upside. And Jared Goff as well. If these guys are at Jared Goff's level, they, they certainly could have that upside as well. And imagine having like four guys that are all worth, you know, $80, $90 or above for, you know, kind of like your standard autograph, somewhat limited. You know, $60 and above, $100 and up, maybe for some of the more premium stuff. That's going to be pretty good for NFL cards. But what's even better than that 
is this Otani guy for the Angels. And I've actually seen him pitch. The Giants had a series against the Angels, and I had seen him uh, I seen him in the series against the A's, saw that on TV, watched a couple games of, of that, saw him pitch, and, man, he's a really good pitcher, and he's a really good I, – I don't know what he does better. I mean, I think pitching is more of art, and, and um, you know, I think – he he's probably got to get adjusted a little bit uh, from from that standpoint, but he's uh, a well above average competent hitter. I mean, he's uh, maybe even an elite level uh, hitter at least through the first couple weeks of the season. So he might even be a better hitter, and he looks exactly like Ichiro. I mean, the guy it looks like a six foot five inch. It looks like you know Ichiro's much taller cousin or something swings the bat uh very similar in a similar fashion but since he's taller and i think a little definitely a little bit more athletic uh than Ichiro was um can hit the ball a long ways and is generating uh home run power and just looks extraordinarily uh confident and competent at at playing both positions and could be one of the most i don't know ground-baking baseball players to play uh, since I've been following baseball. I think it's always been people's fascination that you could have a guy be a pitcher and a batter. And this guy's come over here after spending, I think he's like maybe 23, 24 years old. I'm not 100% sure. But this guy's come over here and he's doing it. I My biggest concern is that he's going to get hurt. I think that that you know number one, he's coming over here. Pro- I, I don't know what the season's like in Japan. I don't know what his conditioning is like, but it's probably a little bit harder and longer grind to go through an MLB season. Probably a lot more travel, definitely a lot more attention, a lot more pressure to perform, and that kind of thing can cause injury. And certainly, if you're pitching and you have any kind of elbow trouble or you get hit by a line drive or something like that. All of a sudden, that takes his bat out of the lineup. So the Angels are going to be in a probably a pretty good situation where they're like, damn, do we let this guy keep pitching with the risk of blowing out an elbow, blowing, doing a Tommy John, rotator cuff, getting hit, broken bone, and then that removes his bat out of the lineup, or do we just bat him but then lose his 100-mile-per-hour fastball and, you know, 93-mile-per-hour sinker, which is looks unhittable at times, certainly against batters that, that haven't seen him or going, definitely all going against him for the first time. We'll see later in the year how hitters adjust and how his stuff uh, progresses or maintains itself through the year. But obviously, this has led to absolute... Hysteria in the baseball card market. We're seeing um, mid-digit five figures and up for autographs that are not even one of ones. Obviously, as one of one cards are going for thousands of dollars, but we're seeing tens of thousands of dollars. I've seen. Uh, I haven't gone and actually looked at the auctions myself. I've seen enough Twitter postings, people with screenshots, fifty-five thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars. Seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars for uh, an autograph that's not, you know, 
not one of the ones out of one or out of five. Like big money, not exactly sure where it's all coming from. I don't think this is all Angels fans coming in, although certainly some of them I'm sure are. I don't think it's all people from Japan all of a sudden jumping on eBay and buying baseball cards, although I'm, I'm certain that there are. It's, it's likely a mix of all that. And it's definitely driven by one thing and one thing only, but that's greed. And so people see an opportunity, see cards going for a lot of money. And they want to, I think a little bit of it's greed, a little bit of it is some guys like to show off. Some guys like to just own stuff like that. I don't think a lot of people are buying this stuff thinking it's going to double and triple in value over the next three or four years. That historically doesn't happen in cards. I think we've seen it occasionally. Tom Brady cards, Peyton Manning cards there for a while. But certainly Tom Brady cards. Certainly um, in baseball. You know, Derek Jeter cards were, were high up there in value, and they still are high up there in value, but they've cooled off a little bit since he's retired. And even the back, the kind of the back end of his career. Even Mike Trout, I don't want to say his cards have like cooled off, but people, you know, it's not as, not as sexy to show off your Mike Trout card as it is, oh, look, I got the new Otani guy, and I got the, the card selling for 50 Gs. I don't know how many people are going to be doing that. We'll see how many of these cards actually get paid for. But it's certainly um, driven a lot of interest in the hobby, and I think it's, I think it's good. I mean, I would I be out there spending fifty, sixty thousand dollars on a baseball card? Absolutely not. I mean, you guys. I mean, I can think of so many, many things. I do with 60 grand, 50 grand, even 10 grand, then buy a baseball card. But to each their own. The, the, you know, to some people, they'd much rather have a $10,000 baseball card than anything else. So we'll see how along the Otani hype train can continue. If it continues all season, there is a fortune, absolute fortune to be made. Not by going out and buying packs and opening up and trying to hit on Otani, but a lot of other ways. Okay, if you're a gambler and you want, you want to basically lose money, it's buy this stuff, open it up, try to hit on Otani, and flip it for big money. I think the smarter money, the more um, the, the little bit risk-free money can be made in other ways. With that being said, I did put a pre-order in for one case of every Topps product <laughs> that is coming out this year. Because if Otani stays this hot, okay, I don't think I'll get allocated a whole case, certainly not of every product. Maybe some of the products, but not all the products. But even if I get like one, two, three boxes of everything that I put in a pre-order up, 
then there's definitely going to be some money to be made. Not huge life-changing money for me, but um, definitely uh, some money to be made. So obviously I'm in. But everybody thought this in 2010. For all you young collectors out there, for all you uh, kids out there, who might be just getting into collecting, or some of you adults out there that are just getting back into collecting, maybe you haven't been in it for a while. Back in 2010, Steven Strasburg was lighting the baseball card world on fire. Not quite like Otani, but he was, at the time, as hot as Otani. Not from a dollar-for-dollar perspective, because Otani, I think, has a wider and broader appeal than Steven Strasburg. Or just about any player, really. Current player. Steven Strasburg was the shit, basically, in 2010. In 2010, Bowman came out, and boxes did the same thing. I think they went up to 180 200 bucks, Maybe even higher than that. And everybody thought the sure money was to pre-order cases and cases and cases of tops for the rest of the year, including Topps Chrome Baseball. And sure enough, Strasburg gets hurt. And interest in the other prospects in that set, which weren't all that bad, diminished by the end of the year. And by the end of the year, anyone that pre-ordered 2010 Topps Chrome Baseball were sitting on a pile of crap, not a pile of gold. So we'll see how this turns out. I do think there'll be other, I think really for me, the opportunity is with some of these other players because I think all the attention is put on Otani. In four or five years, no one really cares. Um, you know, no, the, the shine will have rubbed off all these players and it really go down to whoever's playing really well and who's a compelling baseball player. And there's got to be other guys in here. So there'll be other guys in here that, that will be ignored. And that's likely where some of the opportunity will arise. Now, I did see some complaints. There are numerous dozens upon dozens of parallels in Topps baseball this, or in Bowman baseball this year and likely through the rest of the year. That is because Topps makes their products to order, not for order for order. So if 500,000 boxes are made, they, they don't necessarily make 500,000. But they definitely make more boxes in that scenario than if 100,000 boxes were pre-ordered. That's why sometimes under kind of underbought, under pre-ordered products are a surprise hit because Topps um, makes far less of it than people expected. And the price can shoot up based on some scarcity. That is not going to happen this year. Um, pre-order, I mean, if I'm in there pre-ordering boxes, you know, people that are in the game even more are doubling, tripling, quadrupling their order as well. And everybody's going to try to get in on the gold rush that Otani is providing. But there's definitely going to be some other value there. And so I'm not going to be in there dipping around. I, I, I don't really, for me, that's not really my thing, but, um, or at least with baseball cards. I think there's, for me, it's like baseball. There's so many guys. So there's a little bit of like this luck. There's a lot of like luck factor. You could like nail the guy. I mean, you go back shows that we did 10 years ago. And I talked about guys that went on to win MVP, went on to have decent careers in the MLB and their cars aren't worth nothing. 
Okay. I don't want to say they weren't worth nothing or there weren't spikes and peaks and valleys within there, but you know, sitting there picking off prospects for the next Trout or the next Otani or the next Judge, yeah, you could have been doing that all last year or the year before with Judge and made a fortune, but how many times would you have lost? How many of these other guys that flame out really quickly or don't ever get, get any flame going at all do you bust out on? And so not really my thing. What is my thing is NBA prospecting. So the reason why I kind of like NBA prospecting is the rosters are way shorter, okay? You only got 12 guys rather than, I don't know, 30 guys or 40 guys on an MLB team, and then you've got all these guys in the minors. And then all these 18-year-olds and, and Dominicans and Japanese guys coming from all over the world, whereas the NBA is a 12-man roster. And then on that, on, that, on that 12-man roster, you have like three or four really well-paid payers that have long-term contracts. And then you have rookies that are drafted in the fourth, first round that I think are like the, the team can basically hold their, hold their contract for five years, basically. I think there's, there's some, you know, essentially – an NBA team can hold a rookie for, I think it's like five years. So in the NBA, you, there's a, a lot more certainty about who the guy's teammates are, what his opportunity will be, how long he's going to be with a certain team, or how long he has a chance to maybe go to another team, maybe break out on another roster. We've certainly seen that in the NBA. Or when maybe there's kind of the ball hog there or, or kind of like a Russell Westbrook Durant situation, one of them leaves, that opens the door up for, you know, really both of them to succeed in different ways. So for me, I like prospecting the NBA basketball cards a little bit better. I also think the market for NBA basketball cards, while not nearly as good as um, it is for baseball, it it for me, it seems like... People strongly collect really good star basketball players for a while, okay? You know, there are people still strongly collecting Steph Curry, still strongly collecting James Harden and Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, certainly, obviously. Even, obviously, Michael Jordan as well and Magic Johnson. So, and obviously, those are Hall of Fame players, but, um, you know, it seems to me that, that rookies, and, and then you've seen like uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks. You know, he, you know, kind of like a, a Curry, Steph Curry broke out not in year one, not necessarily in year two, but it was year, I think, even like three or four for him. And so you see in the NBA that, and even like Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis, these are guys that Anthony Davis was a number one pick and everybody figured he'd be a good player. Now he's looking like, wow, Anthony Davis is easily going to be a, for, a very, very formidable challenge for any team. Once, once he develops his game even more and then if they get the right players around him, that he's a championship player. And I don't know if I would have said that a few years ago or certainly when he was drafted. These guys mature, you know, very much in the NBA. You know, it's, instead of going through the minor leagues and kind of being hidden down there and kind of being thrust in, in baseball. And baseball is kind of like a fail. 
you know, it's a fail, you know, you're failing 70 times at the plate. You're failing a lot of times as, as maybe less as a pitcher, but certainly hitters are failing 70% of the time or more in the major leagues. Whereas someone like Anthony Davis could shoot, you know, 55% from the field where he's making over half of his shots and making 80% of his free throws. So I like prospecting NBA cards, and I think we're rolling into that season. You know, certainly I think it'll get even better when we get the NBA draft. We get the tail end of, of uh, basketball cards come out this year. And then we start rolling into next year when new products come out with new rookies that, that people are going to be really excited for. I think a lot of people are going to forget about how Kyle Kuzma could maybe average 20 points next year depending on what the Lakers do with their roster. Or someone like Lonzo Ball, if Lonzo Ball makes a a year one to year two jump that Brandon Ingram did, his teammate, or like Kristaps Porzingis did, or certainly like Giannis Antetokounmpo, or an Anthony Davis, or Carl Anthony Towns, if he progresses his game, the way those guys did, Lonzo Ball is going to be a, a huge star in Los Angeles and likely throughout the NBA and the world. And depending on who the Lakers have on their team, depending on if they're winning or not, could definitely um, impact his card prices. And his autographs are, you know, his like random autographs, 70, 80 bucks, 100 bucks. But I think really a lot of the opportunity, if you have thousands and thousands of dollars you want to throw at this, the autographs obviously I think uh, are a good way to do it. Certainly a much higher upside. But for me, I like to play around with the prisms and the Donruss optics and uh, the Panini Select and kind of the, the just the base rookie that can go from a dollar to $3. Get some of the parallels that can go from maybe 5 to 15 5 to 18, 1920. I think there's definitely some upside there. I think they they definitely they definitely I mean cards are mass produced anyways, but I I don't think Panini, you know, definitely had their foot on the accelerator all year with these NBA basketball cards. There's a lot of supply out there. But my advice, obviously for me, I'm, I'm prospecting Kuzma and Lonzo. I've got some emotional attachment there from it being my favorite team and a team I watch, the only team I watch. But if I were to give you some advice on if you're, if you're not into doing Lonzo or Kyle, Kuzma, you know, one of the reasons why I do like them is there is star power there. Obviously, Lonzo Ball, we don't even need to talk about why he has star power. But Kyle Kuzma as well, from a statistical standpoint, and also from playing in Los Angeles and maybe being a cornerstone player to winning championships and going to the playoffs again in Los Angeles, certainly being a big part of that. And also, if his game develops as well, I think he's a little. I think he was a four-year graduate at Utah in college, so he's a little bit older than these guys, and so his game obviously is already more mature. But if he can make his game even better going into year two, certainly um, would be positive for his card values as well. But if you're not in, again, if you're not into them, 
you find a guy with star power. Okay. Look at like Tim Duncan. I mean, Tim Duncan cards were, were collected and he won championships and stuff, but maybe even like LaMarcus Aldridge is maybe even a better comparison. Another player, great statistics, good guy. Doesn't seem like getting a lot of trouble or you never really hear about it, but his cards aren't really collected that much. I mean, part of it is he was in Portland and then down in San Antonio. But I think we can all agree that someone like Anthony Davis has just a lot more star power, a lot more, I don't want to say a lot more, but he has more star power than someone like LaMarcus Aldridge. Or certainly the Greek freak has a lot more star, even more star power than someone like Anthony Davis. Just his story is more unique. The fact he's in Milwaukee, the fact that I think he averaged like, like no points his first couple of years in the league. And is now turned into like an MVP type player. That's a story people really identify with. So make sure that whoever you prospect has a chance to tell a story and is not like a, you know, Jamal Crawford type player who, yeah, can average 20 points, but no one cares. Okay, Lonzo Ball could average, like, I mean, as we've seen, like nine points, seven rebounds, and, and seven assists, and he has some of the most valuable cards on the market, okay, because he has mega star power, and that's what you want in the NBA, okay, outside of a guy who has the potential to develop. You need these guys to continue to get better and to continue to improve. That's the most important thing with prospecting um, in the NBA. You need that guy to keep getting better. And in the NBA, it seems to happen. Chris Stapsworzingis, before he got hurt, looked like MVP candidate. The Greek freak. Carl Anthony Towns. Anthony Davis. These are all guys that are developing and getting better and better. Um, a lot better. And it's very impressive. Moving on. So as I mentioned earlier in the show... If you are a connoisseur of the sport, again, the Sports Card Show podcast is in its 10th year. We have more connoisseurs and listeners to this program than all other Sports Card podcasts combined. Sports Card Show podcast is well-established and is likely downloaded lots of times and people don't listen because we've just been around that long and we're just stuck in people's iTunes and feeds. We're just like in bed. It's like a cockroach. Once you subscribe to us, we won't go away. But if you listen, just a few shows ago, we talked about the situation where Brian Gray apparently claimed, wanted to claim that, essentially this is what Brian Gray claimed, that number one, Damian Lillard could not identify his own autograph. Number two, that Brian Gray even said that Brian Gray himself could not identify his own autographs. So in Brian Gray's opinion, another athlete can't tell his own signature, but then also Brian Gray can't tell his own signature. So Brian Gray could sign a check, and then two years could go by and he could look at that check. He wouldn't be sure if he signed it or not. But given that situation, Brian Gray felt like he knew 
Damian Lillard's signature better than not only Damian Lillard, but his own. So Brian Gray just went on and on and on about how this was a real autograph. And pretty sure Brian Gray doesn't want to admit it. Brian Gray doesn't want to uh, come out and publicize this. But I'm pretty sure when Brian Gray got that autograph, he realized it probably wasn't real. And he probably shouldn't have uh, questioned an athlete saying it was fake because the signature probably was fake. And, you know, like I said, I, I think originally Brian Gray said something on Twitter about it. And I, I, I think I, I don't remember what I said to him. But it led to like a two-day, three, two to three-day thing. Brian Gray was like texting me and calling me and leaving me voicemails and emailing me and doing all this shit. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to talk to you. I just want to pour gasoline. I think you're saying something stupid. I think you're saying something that doesn't make sense. I think you're looking like that typical greaseball autograph seller that is a stigma in this hobby that needs to go away. I think he was looking like that, giving that that perception, and I was just pouring gasoline on him, making him blow up. I think he did the right thing in blocking me. I think if you if you say stupid things and you start getting in an argument with me, you should do exactly what Brian Gray and and Cardfather X, aka what's his name, Josh. Can't remember his last name now. Cade, that's right. Josh Cade, aka the card father, who doesn't, I, I think he's like an Uber driver now. Pretty sure he, he just does Uber. Those guys both blocked me on Twitter because they couldn't, you know, they were the flame, I was the gas, and they got tired of me lighting them on fire and blowing them up. So they did the right thing. But periodically through the years, Joshua has unblocked me to, to respond to some things. And I, always, I always suggest to Josh, we should do another show to just catch up a little bit. See how the Uber driver's going. Maybe he's gotten a job at McDonald's. Maybe he's working the night shift at Taco Bell. I don't know. Maybe he's pumping gas somewhere or washing tables or washing dishes. I don't really know. He may have moved on to glamorous work like, you know, being a construction worker or a janitor or something like that. We should come on the show. We'll charge 99 cents for it. There'll be some kind of transaction fee, probably, you know, 10, 15%. So we won't net 99 cents. We'll net maybe like 80 cents or something. I'll give all that money to him. Just come on the show. We'll charge money for it. It'll, it'll benefit Josh Cade since I ruined his breaking career and ruined his streaming TV career. I remember he was bra- when he was on the show, he bragged about how uh, his streaming, his card TV.com or something was going to take over the industry. It's going to be a huge investment. I don't think, uh, you know, it might be that you can just go buy that domain right now. So, um, but uh, I don't know where I was going with this. Uh, but Brian Gray has unblocked me on Twitter, and he has commented 
on some posts that uh, Sports Card Radio has posted on Facebook. So the bridge is being mended. The bridge is being repaired. And we'll see what where that leads us in the future. Do I want to have Brian Gray on the show? Do I want to do a promotion for Leaf? No. I, I don't think any of these guys, you know. Number one, I've got 5 million other things I'm doing. Number two, that's just not, not something I'm interested in. Number three, you've got a lot of other ass lickers and ass kissers out there in the hobby that will gladly take a free box or a free autograph or something or an interview or something and put it on their podcast and run with it. That's just not what we do. I started a podcast so I could sit in my office here now and talk to myself. I don't need to talk to other people. Okay, Spend my whole day talking to other people. Don't need to have my podcast doing the same thing. Anyways, finally, I don't think, I think that was all our topics. So NFL draft, I think was, again, you should be excited. If you're anyone in the card world, you should be excited. If you're in the baseball card market, you you should have about an eight foot boner right now because Otani is like, I mean, he's like Aaron Judge. Uh, Ichiro, I remember Albert Pujols uh, being extraordinarily hot. I remember Ichiro being extraordinarily hot, but not $50,000, $60,000, $100,000. I don't know if card's gone for $100,000 yet, but that's where we're going. It's insane. It's like Bitcoin. You know, Otani's cards are <laughs> like parabolically uh, almost identical to Bitcoin. And so for me... Okay, I have a little bit of Bitcoin still left um, that I paid very little money for, that I paid, I, I don't know, 100 bucks for maybe total. I've, I've deposited more as I've won sports bets and stuff. I withdraw it to Bitcoin. I think I started out with 20 that turned into 300. And then I've added a little bit to it, and I think it was worth over 2,000, 3,000 at one point, and I got some Bitcoin cash that I sold. But um, Otani's cards are just like Bitcoin. So a little scary from that perspective. Okay, definitely a hard sell for me. If I pull a card and it's worth $50,000 or even $1,000 or more, that card is being sold so freaking fast. And part of that is because I've been doing a lot of selling on Amazon eBay. So I have some websites that really generate... um, very, very, very passive income. I do, I'll be honest with you. I do have some work to do on some websites. I have like, like the most boring stuff uh, with a website is you're basically switching servers. So I had to switch servers and I've been putting it off for, I mean, I'm paying for two servers now, which is like over $120 each. So I had that to motivate me that I could be having an extra $100, $120 in my bank account every month if I just got around to doing this work. But um, so I have a little bit of work. I'd say like, you know, a day and a half, two days of, you know, not eight hour type stuff, but four or five hours here and there. So I need to get around to that. But one of the reasons why I've been putting it off is in part because Amazon and eBay continue for me to grow month over month. And I'm seeing uh, between a really about a, I'd say on the low end, about 12% return. Uh, on the high end for me in terms of my product mix and the way I'm handling my inventory, 
uh, upwards of 17% return. And this is on about eight to $10,000 in sales. So for me, it's like between $1,100, $1,200 a month, all the way up to maybe $1,600, a month in profit. And this is um, certified uh, profit. This is not um, you know, oh, I, I bought, you know, I bought a box of Bowman and I pulled an Otani and they're selling for eight, you know, eight grand. And I'm just going to, I'm going to send it to BGS and wait six weeks. And, uh, uh, well, by the time I get it back, it'll easily be a hundred thousand. Oh, and by then Otani is, uh, you know, he's got his arm in a sling and, uh, people have moved on to the next guy and his cards aren't worth shit. It's exactly what happened to Strasburg in 2010. And I'm not saying that could happen again, but it's not money in the bank. Whereas Amazon, straight money in the bank. eBay, straight money in the bank. And the way I'm using it is Amazon, I'm really investing a lot of money into it. I'm probably, um, I haven't really, I mean, I don't really look at it like, because I have like money coming in and out and going in and out from all these different directions. I don't really look at it as, oh, I'm not pulling money from this business. I'm putting it back in. Um, but I'm reinvesting a lot in Amazon. I'm buying, you know, my sales are trending up, but I'm also buying more and more stuff from my suppliers. So, um, you know, I haven't really put my, put it on cruise control where I've stopped buying stuff or I bought less or kind of bought, you know, similar products or kind of stuck with my product mix keeps growing and more and more products and more and more stuff and more and different kind of things I can be selling. So been doing that with Amazon. eBay is um, definitely, I would say, actually eBay is probably a little bit higher margin and I think it really should be because you're going that extra step where I've got to sit here and package this stuff out. Luckily, I've got a, it's not a post office, but it's one of those little mail centers literally around the corner from my house or kind of, you know, not necessarily around the corner, but I'd say mm, like three, four blocks away. What I do is there's a Starbucks right there and there's a grocery store where I shop. And so I go up there in the morning with my son Push them down there in the shop, in the not shopping cart, not that ghetto. Um, times aren't that tough over here at the uh, at the Tedder's household. But um, so I push them over there in the stroller. What's cool is I can put all my my boxes. You know, I'm not selling anything really big. So and obviously I get in the car every once in a while. But when I've got my boy with me, it's either just to throw it all in the stroller, go over there, drop it off. And, uh, you know, go do the grocery shopping or go get a Starbucks or whatever it might be. So, um, works out perfect for me. eBay, if, if I had to drive to the post office every day, probably wouldn't be something I'd be focusing on, but because of my lifestyle right now, um, allowing me to be near a a drop-off point that is so convenient, um, I'm, I'm selling some stuff on eBay and again, uh, the margin's sometimes higher depending on what it is. Obviously, you've got to go through there and kind of check it, but there, there's less people selling, definitely less people selling on eBay. The competition to sell on eBay definitely has fallen um, off a cliff from what I remember. Okay, Again, my memory of eBay selling on eBay is more maybe 10 years ago and before 10, 15 years ago when that was like the number one market, marketplace um, by far. Now, Amazon is by far the number one marketplace. And so that's where all the sellers have flooded to, or that's where people spend, you know, 70, 80, 90% of their time. I have found with eBay that there's definitely some markets and definitely some opportunity there. You've just got to um, uh, know where it is and, and have some patience 
And, um, you know, there's just a lot of opportunity there and stuff does sell there. So, and what also I like about eBay is it, the cash flow with Amazon, you're getting paid every two weeks. And, and depending on it, how you're turning over your inventory, you might be selling inventory. You know, you get your inventory, you send it in. It takes a couple weeks for it to get onto Amazon. Then it sells. And so you're probably not getting paid for, you know, between 30 and 60 days from when you originally sent the item in. Obviously longer if it sits there for any uh, number, of, uh, number of weeks. Whereas eBay, I find that the turnover is a little more, I don't want to say more predictable, but you're getting paid right away. And you can always do kind of the blowout on, you can blow stuff out on Amazon, it sells pretty quick. But on eBay, you can do the same thing. You drop your price or do some 99 cent auctions or whatever and kind of clear it out. And that's kind of the attitude I have with my inventory. I know a lot of you guys listening are collectors and I don't want to say like hoarders, but you collect, you, you know, you, you want to get all the cards or you want to get all the certain player. Um, that's a bad, that, that's, I think it's fine with card collecting. Don't have any problem with it, but it's really bad if you're trying to sell this stuff. So when I see inventory sitting around for more than, you know, if I've had it for more than 60 days, it's gone. I'm going to move it out below cost. Or whatever I have to do, I'm moving it out and I'm selling it. Because if you're, you know, again, I'm making 15, you know, 12 to 17. And this is net net of all fees, all expenses, taxes, everything. Net netting 12 to 15%, 12 to 17% on your money month over month. Okay, this is not for a whole year. Okay, whole year in a stock market, you jump up and down if you make 12%. This is month over month over month. You're hitting this on Amazon and eBay. So obviously, I've poured a lot of money into this. Okay, I still have a savings account. Not a savings account. I've got money in stocks and stuff. Anybody who just puts some money into general savings accounts is a moron. Although interest rates are ticking up. I think you're at 3 or 4% now, not at a bank, but eventually that'll trickle down. Get 2% in a checking account or something. 2.5% maybe. Still got that, but I am investing heavily, heavily into this Amazon business and eBay because, you know, nowhere, nowhere in the stock market with this little risk, obviously there's risk, okay? You go into a recession or I get my account shut down on Amazon or something happens to where I store all these items. Most of them are at Amazon anyways, so it's on, on them anyways. But there's a lot of things that could slow my business down. You know, my supplier decides not to sell to me. Whatever it is, brands decide to, to cut people off, whatever it is. But right now, it's pretty good. And I'm pretty excited about it. Not quite as bullish uh, as... Uh, I'm not nearly as bullish on the stock market. For the last 10 years of this show, and if you go back, you will see many, many, many examples where I've been on the show when the stock market was many hundreds thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of points lower than it is today. And I was like, buy, 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 buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. But we are at a new, it's, you know, as time goes by, if you still want to buy and hold stocks and you're a young guy, I, I don't got a problem with that. But you're going to either have to have, uh, you know, balls of steel 
or be able to stomach some losses. I think we're, we're headed into a time where stock market definitely fluctuating uh, far more than it has in uh, the past couple years. You're seeing bigger swings, bigger numbers, not necessarily from a percentage perspective. When the market's at 25,000 and it moves 800 points, that's not nearly as scary when it's at 10,000 and moves 800 points. Obviously, a much larger percentage. But we're seeing larger swings, so you've got to be able to stomach that. And it's not that I can't, but I think the, the, the glory days of the stock market are not over, but it's definitely going to take a breather for a number of reasons. You've got rates going up. Again, interest rates have been held historically low for the past decade. Okay, that had to have stopped. That had to have changed. And I actually think it's good that it's changing. We shouldn't have 0%, 1% interest rates. That's stupid. Okay, and I'm not talking about your credit card. I'm not talking about necessarily even your mortgage. Okay, for the government to set the mortgage or to set the interest rate at basically zero, that's retarded. So finally, they're changing that. And that changes the kind of the, I don't know, the attitude people have towards owning stocks. If I could invest in kind of a riskless piece of paper and earn 4 or 5%, that might beat buying AT&T stock and earning 5 and, five and a quarter percent, 5 and 3 quarters percent, or buying Verizon and getting the same kind of yield. Or maybe even holding a stock like Apple that only pays 2.5%, maybe 2%, maybe even less than that, 1%. Why would I invest in Apple and earn only 1% of my money when I could invest in kind of riskless paper and earn 3.5%? So these are the kind of decisions uh, investors are going to be making over the next, I'd say, 12 months, 12 to 18 months. And that's kind of how I look at this. You also have a political landscape that... Looks a little murky for me over the next, until we move into the next presidential election cycle. Some, you know, be- very negative things could happen to Donald Trump. While it's not super negative, if the Democrats um, pick up some houses, pick, some houses, some seats in the House of Representatives or maybe even uh, get a majority there, or not necessarily, I don't even know if they call it a majority, but more members there. Yeah, they'd be in the majority. And maybe they even get the Senate too. That's possible. Where Democrats, you have a Republican president, and you have Democrats in control of the House and the Senate. And I guarantee you, the very first thing on the, the first two priorities, if that happens, Number one, they'll move to impeach Donald Trump over something. Might be legitimate, might not be. I don't know. But I know, number one, that's going to be very bad for the stock market. Number two, second thing the Democrats, I think, have telegraphed what they'd like to do is repeal the tax cuts, which are extraordinarily beneficial to the stock market and people that own stock, own companies. And so if both of those things are in our foreseeable future. I'm not quite as excited about 
taking all my money out of my Amazon business, taking all my money out of my eBay business, taking all my money out of my websites and pouring it into stocks like I have been over the last 10 years, not doing that anymore. Am I buying stocks? Yeah, when Facebook, when Mark Zuckerberg, I literally was buying Facebook stock when Mark Zuckerberg was testifying because I knew that was going to be the low point for uh, that company, at least in, in, in the short term here. It's a very powerful company, very uh, influential company. Nobody in Washington, D.C. was going to take them down. And even in the media, the media needs Facebook as well. They weren't going to take them down either. So I, mean, I think I'm up 20% since then. Bought Apple stock earlier this year. I think I'm up 15, 20% there. Have bought some shares of Amazon. Bought strategically bought certain companies, but it's not uh, you know run out and just pour it into the S and P 500 uh, ETF or pour it into the Vanguard fund. Definitely haven't been doing that. Okay, the the only stocks I'm really, really I don't want to say really excited about buying are beaten down gigantic companies. Facebook, Apple, Google, those kind of companies, but also banks, because as you have interest rates tick up, the biggest uh, benefactor are banks and credit card companies as well. Although I think I only own Visa, and I think I only own four or five shares because it's like a hundred. I think I bought it a hundred something dollars, and so I only maybe five six hundred dollars in, in that stock. But I certainly have more, much more in banks, several thousands of dollars in uh, bank stocks. And I think that's, that's an interesting place to be over the next 12 to, 12 to 24 months. Because even if the, even if the Democrats, you know, and Trump's not going to, to repeal that. I mean, he's not going to sign a bill to repeal his tax cuts. He's not going to, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that there's anything there that is going to get him impeached. I think there's a lot of things that he does that pisses people off, but to actually impeach a president, it's not nearly as simple as I think people wish it was, um, at least in, under this scenario. So I don't think either of those things are going to, to fully play out and happen, but definitely will be negative uh, for the stock market. You got, and then on top of that, you have the Federal Reserve raising rates. So you have literally the Federal Reserve. I could see a scenario towards the back half of this year, 2018, and into 2019, the Federal Reserve comes out and says, oh, yeah, we've moved interest rates from 3.5 to 3.7 or whatever. And at the same time, you have Democrats saying we need to raise taxes. That is a raising taxes and raising rates. Just open up an economics 101 textbook and see how that's like having a, a roaring fire and, and getting uh, multiple fire stations to come and put it out. If you want to just absolutely kill the United States, really the world economy, not just the United States economy, because if the, the United States economy struggles, the whole world does. So if you want the economy to come to a halt, raise interest rates, which we know is going to happen, and then raise taxes on top of that, which is exactly what the Democrats want to do. That's like the number one thing they want to do outside of impeaching Donald Trump. They don't want to provide anything for the DACA recipients. 
They don't want to do that. They just want to hold that group of people hostage, make it seem like they, they care about their issues. They're in touch with the Mexicans and the Honduras and uh, the Syrians that come over here seeking refuge. Democrats want you to feel like we're here for you. We won't ever pass a law for you. We won't ever make this permanent, but we want you to know we're here from you and the, the Republicans are racist. They don't want to do that, but they want to raise taxes. They don't want to pass any gun control. Okay, you're not going to see any gun control ever passed by Democrats because they know that'd be the fastest way for the, that'd be the fastest way for them to get a ticket out of Washington D.C. because nothing fires up the conservative base like. Abortion and gun control. Probably gun control would be number one. Start banning guns, start saying you're going to take away guns, that's your ticket out of Washington, D.C., the next election. But we'll see how it all plays out because one, one final make America great again note is there's been some special elections, and I think they're cool. I think I'm, I'm voting in, I don't think it's a special, I think it's more of a primary here next month here in California. And I've been, email, I don't know about you guys. I think a lot of people, and I know this, a lot of people just vote Democrat or they vote Republican. I email the candidate, I, the, one of the sheriffs, one of the people that was running for sheriff in my, in my town came by and I had some specific questions I wanted to ask the guy. I want to ask him about school safety. I want to see where he stand on that. I want to see where he stand. Uh, California has this sanctuary state policy, and there's other sheriffs in other counties that are pulling out of it or, or are trying to trying not to 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 go along with it. And so I want to see what our sheriff said about that, or the person that was running said about that. And so that influenced my decision whether or not I vote for him. And same thing with Senate. I've emailed Diane Feinstein a lot. Three or four times, just over the last uh, few years, just to see where she's at on certain issues. I've emailed, uh, you know, local uh, assemblymen and assemblywomen over the years, certain issues. Democrat, Republican. I'm on, I, I get emails from like Democrats and Republicans because I email these, these senators just to see where they're at. For me, I'm not going to vote, you know, I'm not going to just vote for the Republican because I like Donald Trump. Maybe there's a certain issue in my local area where maybe the Democrat's stronger or has a stronger opinion on that or really campaigns on that. And maybe the Republican doesn't even talk about it or has an opposing view, something that I don't agree with. And that certainly happens a lot of times. Sometimes it's the other way around. So I'm definitely going to be doing that. I'm excited. See where it goes. I don't know where it'll go. What my point was is we've had some special elections and I think there was one in Alabama where the guy was running again. I think the guy that won was a, a Democrat. His name was Jones. Uh, but he was running against a guy that was like, I don't know, hanging out with like teenage girls or something. So it wasn't, I don't think it was that hard for him to win, but Jones was a conservative. Jones, Jones was a pro gun kind of, uh, I don't know if he was like pro pro life, but he was definitely not, uh, out there saying that, you know, here's, here's the number to Planned Parenthood. So a conservative 
moderate Democrat won in Alabama. And the same thing happened in Pennsylvania. I think there was a special election there and a pro-gun, I think ex-military Democrat guy won there. And so I think you're seeing um, people, the the most appealing candidates tend to be more moderate, these more moderate candidates that aren't necessarily really right wing or left wing. And I think that would be, that would definitely help Washington if we had more people that voted um, more in line with uh, most people's opinion. I know a lot of people uh, that are on Twitter and stuff swing either really hard left or really hard right, but the fact is most people are more down the center or most people make up their mind um, you know, every couple years. Definitely a lot of people that voted for Obama that ended up voting for Trump. Or a lot of people that voted for Obama that didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. Maybe voted for somebody else or didn't vote. So people change their, change their views all the time, and I think that's a good thing. I think that could be refreshing. And it could give you some dragon energy. So um, hopefully, touch a little bit on anything. Last, my last thought, promise this is going to be it, okay? Uh, my last thought for the day is it's, it's still early in the year, okay? We're only like in the fourth or fifth month here. Got my cal- my PCGS. PCGS always sends me a calendar. It's like a beautiful guy. Cal- never graded coins with them ever. Um, want to? I'd love to grade some coins, but I don't really, I don't really acquire. I acquire modern coins, and if you acquire modern coins, you might as well get one. I mean, you either already know it's kind of in mint state, or you can acquire it. Uh, you know, there's all these dealers that grade all these coins, these silver eagles and gold eagles and stuff. Um, and you can acquire a grade for not much more of a premium than it is for a raw coin. So I don't have a lot of reasons to send in these coins. But anyways, I looked up on my beautiful PCGS calendar. You should maybe – I think I probably signed up for their website and stuff like that in the past. So if you want, like, a free calendar, they, they've sent me a free calendar every um, every year. And then they sometimes send me, like magazine, uh, like, a magazine every once in a while. It's pretty cool. I don't think I've ever paid them any money. So it's it's kind of nice. But we're only in our fourth or fifth month here, uh, the new year. And one thing you can do is make make sure – I know I went on this thing where I'm not like – again, I'm not super bullish on dumping money into – I mean, I want you to contribute to your IRA and max out. I think the max for somebody under 45 or something is like 50 – it's like $100 a week, $5,500, $5,200 for a whole year. You should max out on that. Whether you do it all at once, if you have that kind of cash flow, or if you're like me, you do $100 a week. Pull it out every Friday. Comes out of my bank account every Friday. It's a great tax write-off. And again, I'm not super excited about dumping that money in there and then immediately putting it in like an S&P 500 fund. Okay, which is really what... um, Essentially, what I've been doing for the last 10 years is putting money into account and immediately investing it because the market was just going to keep churning up, keep churning up, that having cash sitting there was a waste. Now, not my opinion. I'm at over 10% cash in in most of my, my main account. And at the same time, I have far more gold and silver Assets. I probably almost have as much gold and silver assets as I do um, paper assets now, 
which is a big, big change over the last um, couple years, especially over the last 10 years. But I'm still contributing to my RA because it's a very effective tax write-off. And if we see these days, I mean, the, there were these days. Facebook was just going down and down and down. Everybody, Facebook's gonna, everybody's gonna delete their Facebook, and it's like, uh, nobody I know could delete their Facebook. Okay, and do what? Okay, you're gonna. Del- I mean, it's not like. You drive a Ford, and all of a sudden you're pissed off at Ford, and you go buy a Toyota or a Honda or a Camry, or that's a Toyota. (laughs) Okay, you have all these other options if you don't want to drive your Ford. Okay, if if you're on Facebook and you love Facebook, okay, dropping that and then going to another social media platform doesn't really work, okay? It's not even like Google where it's like, I'm pissed at Google. I'm going to go use Yahoo, which returns almost identical results, okay? And you're going to have a very similar experience on Yahoo as you do on Google. Might not be exact, but it's pretty darn close. I don't think my life, if somebody told me I'll never be able to use Google search engine, I don't think I'd be super bummed out. But if somebody was like, I mean, I don't use Facebook, but if somebody was like, you can never use Twitter again, I'd be like, ah. I don't think I'm going to be able to replace that. I mean, it's gone. It's, I'm not going to sit here and cry about it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to replace that. So I felt that way about Facebook. So um, when it was going down and down and down. So when opportunities like that come up, yeah, if you have $1,000, $2,000, a couple thousand dollars sitting there, it's great. You can move on that kind of stuff. Or if we have bigger swings where it's like things trend down, it's, you know, Bad things are happening. Trump's going to get impeached. Stuff like that. There could be some really good opportunities there. Fear is definitely what you want to have money for. But I think the market has been greedy for a really long time. I think um, it'll underperform other assets. I think just the broad market, S&P 500, your Dow Jones Industrial Index Fund, Vanguard Fund type thing. Think's going to underperform other assets over the next 12 to 14 months. So I'm not trying to get super cute and sell 100% of my paper assets and move into all this other stuff. I'm just being more cautious there and definitely not pulling all my money out and going 100% into stocks. It's really, I've got some cash, I've got some gold, I've got some other businesses that I'm reinvesting in. I think that's a smart strategy. And I think if you think about that, right, you know, as we're closing down this podcast, you know, you probably got this card stuff covered. You've probably fondled so many cards today that the UV coating is starting to like bleed into your hands. And so take a break and think about some of your other financial positions. We're not all going to be so lucky to pull an Otani out of a $180 box that's worth 35000 Okay. Not many of us are going to experience that. Unless he does it all year, then it's possible. Okay, because it's not like Tops is going to limit this guy's autograph. If it's selling for sixty thousand all year, then yeah, there's going to be a lot of them. And you might want to think again, maybe instead of investing a lot of I, 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 I again, I think you could look out the window and see if pigs are flying. But right now, I I would argue that maybe. 2018 Tops baseball cards. Again, it all hinges on Otani. So the risk is 
extraordinarily high. It, it's probably higher than it's higher than Bitcoin. Thinking that Otani is going to achieve these prices and achieve the level of play for the next hundred, I don't know how many games there's left, 140 games or maybe left in the MLB season. To think he's going to achieve that over that period of time is riskier than thinking Bitcoin's going to go from 8,000 to back up to 16 or 19,000 or whatever it was at. But if he does that, if Otani does that, I would much rather be invested in baseball cards than almost anything in the world over the next, certainly the next six months. So we'll see what happens. Exciting time. You know, I know, again, the hardcore collector is going to be like, oh, I don't want there to be 30 parallels in Bowman. And I get it. But because of the extraordinary demand, uh, you know, Topps is, is, is making a ton of this stuff. And if cards, if Otani cards, if he keeps playing the way he does and the interest stays where it's at, or even just levels off, doesn't have to keep going up. If it just levels off, maybe even goes down a little bit. I mean, we're talking extraordinary uh, return in baseball cards this year. And not, again, not just buying the tops cards themselves. There's so many other ways to make money that that's, you know, where I'd be, fo- you know, it's like the people, if, if you're, you know, if you were if back in the gold rush days, I don't know how many years ago that was, 100, 150 years ago, I don't know. But back, I'm not up on my social studies. I haven't subbed. Uh, what is that? You probably learned that in like fourth or fifth grade. I haven't subbed a fourth or fifth grade. Uh, I've done a little bit of subbing over the last couple of weeks. Subs- not really a lot of full days. I've done a lot of, um, you know, I'm like the Swiss Army knife at this one school. It's like if a teacher needs to go on a, uh, you know, an appointment or needs to be gone for an hour or two, you know, it's really hard to find a substitute teacher that will just come down there for an hour. But since the school's not far from me and, uh, it's not hard at all. The kids are super nice. Um, you know, I'll go down there. So I haven't subbed any gold rush, you know, fourth or fifth grade social studies, but you know, the people that made money at the gold rush were the landowners were definitely the people selling picks and shovels and water and and uh, maybe creating you know services. Definitely like the brothels and the bars made a ton of money during the gold rush. The people that didn't make money during the gold rush were the people hunting for gold. So if you find yourself, oh, I gotta I gotta go to Target and get a blaster. I got I gotta I gotta get on DA and and, and get a get a box you know that retail that that was wholesale at, at sixty five and sells for three twenty I gotta get a box and try to hit one of those Otanis. You are like the guy digging for gold, and yes, maybe you do strike gold at some point. Maybe you do get lucky, but I'm gonna guess if you do get lucky, you're gonna blow all that money back at the bar. At the brothel, at uh, you know, trying to find you know another uh, nugget of gold in some other product down the line, and you're gonna blow all that money back. The people that are gonna make all the money during the Otani craze are the people selling the supplies. The people selling, not even selling, uh, providing the information, the hype, the hype train. How to, you know, what Otani's to buy? 
What have they sold for? Which ones are coming out? When are they going to come out? Which ones should I look for? Which ones are valuable? Which ones should I sell? Which ones should I, I buy? Th- th- those kind of things, that's where the money's going to be made. And we'll see who takes advantage of that over the next couple months. So should be an interesting time. Really excited um, to be following the hobby and a little bit more involved. Again, I've got pre-orders of, of Topps Baseball uh, throughout the rest of the year. We'll see how that turns out. That could be a hit or miss. But at worst, you know, I'm probably losing, you know, at worst I'll lose half my money. That's how I look at it. Is I'm pre-ordering Top Scrum Baseball. I don't know what it was. We'll call it. We'll, we'll just say it was $800 for a case or something. I don't know if that's the price or not. But let's just say it was $800 for a case. I think the worst case scenario, I lose half my money. It goes down to $400. But the best case scenario, I could, ma- I could triple my money. So for me, it's like I either lose half my money or I triple my money. I take that bet almost every time. Because if I hit those a couple of those triples, then uh, it'll be it'll be you know I'm I'm my life's you know I'm not going to go get a second Benz or a Tesla or something like that or another Rolex, but um, it will it will be nice. Might get you know another piece of furniture or something like that. Make a contribution to the make a you know me and me and Kanye will will make uh, contributions to the Make a Great Garden. I'll go to a Kanye West concert and fit right in. I'll have my Make America Great Again at and I'll, I'll feel safe. You know, never, never imagine I could go to uh, a concert likely, likely populated by uh, many, many people of m- many races and then wear a Make America Great Again hat and feel, feel welcomed and not, not get myself, uh, not feel endangered. In fact, I'd you know, it'd be like as part of the family, so might have to. I think Kanye's coming out with a coming out with an album and hitting the tour. Maybe I'll have to go check him out. So since we have dra- that dragon energy, <laughs> it's amazing time. So enjoy it. We'll be back some other time, some other place here on the Sports Card Show podcast, the number one longest running in its tenth year. We'll be back some other time, but for now we. are out of here.